Hello, hello, dear friends. Thank you for tuning into this latest episode of Love Service Wisdom with Marissa Rada, myself. Just call me Rada. I am so excited for this episode today. Do I say that every episode? I may. I may say it every episode. But this one is with Trudy Goodman, the Vipassana meditation teacher in the Theravadan Buddhist tradition. She is a leader in mindfulness-based psychotherapy. She is a powerhouse and a way shower, especially for women in the world of Dharma. And I had the privilege and honor of meeting her and learning from her and spending time with her at the Open Your Heart in Paradise retreat in Maui this past December, Ram Dass's last retreat. She was there with her husband, Jack Cornfield, who's also an incredible um, Vipassana meditation teacher. And so it was just, again, such an honor and treat to be with both of them because they're both legends in my world and getting to spend time with Trudy. She's just such a warm, bright light and uh, such a clear, grounded force, especially of feminine power that I just, I admire her so much. I admire her and her work and who she is in the world. And in this conversation, we get into topics like gender imbalance in the Dharma and what it's been like uh, transforming our teaching styles to online as she's the founder of Inside LA, an incredible meditation studio and training center in LA. And I believe there's other branches as well. So she's teaching now online like I am through my um studio source meditation space. So we get into that and also just like finding our new way through this whole process of the lockdown and the quarantine and the shift in, uh, wow, the shift in vibration in so many ways. And then at the end, she gives us a embodied experience of a loving kindness meditation or a loving kindness meditation that's directed to our body. So at the end, we get that super special treat. So definitely check out all about Trudy. She's got books and trainings and workshops and retreats and classes. Her website is great. It's trudygoodman.com. And then Inside LA is insightsla.org if you want to check out either of those resources, which I highly recommend that you do. Yeah, so grateful to share her wisdom with you at this time because I don't know about you, but man, I have just been going through it. I feel, um, I have felt a lot since this last Scorpio full moon that came about uh, over the weekend. And I just have been, my body's tense and has lots of energy that's blocked and it's up and my emotional state is quite charged. And I'm, let's just say I'm not feeling like my normal, grounded, super calm self. I I feel like some layers of the onion have been pulled back and I'm working through my own process of transformation. It's been a really 
big phoenix rising time of the old dying away and the new being born. And I don't think that that's, we get to skate through that without feeling some of our own deep depths of wounds and sorrows and triggers and pains. And uh, that's just been my, my, uh, my go. And I'm still in it for sure, but very grateful to have a loving partner. Krishna is so awesome with holding space and processing and witnessing and mirroring and the time that we have together down in Boulder is so nourishing. And with the children too, Maya and Benji, I feel like, I don't know about you parents out there, but I feel like I'm getting to know my kids in such a deeper way because of all this time that we're spending versus sending them off to school and just getting like morning and nighttime snippets. It's been so lovely. It's been so lovely. It's been so, so, so lovely. I know not everyone is fortunate enough to have a situation where you can really drop in with your kids and as we all become new homeschoolers, but I'm grateful for the degree at which I've been able to. It feels like um, I've rediscovered a lost treasure and I just love them so, so, so much. I love them so much and I love all of you and I'm very hopeful for where this may be heading. I don't have any answers at all. And I won't even pretend to know like what is going on on a macro level, but I'm just trying to navigate through the micro level of my tiny universe. And it's been tough. It's been tough. But just this little go around. I look at it all like waves too. Sometimes you're cruising. Sometimes you're surfing. It's feeling good. You caught the wave and then the wave ends and you're paddling back out and paddling back out can be quite tough. So I think I'm in the paddle back out stage and this too shall pass and the next wave will come and that will pass and the next wave will come. And here it goes, the big cycle onward, ever spiraling inward. With that, I leave you to my conversation with the just insanely, insanely inspiring Trudy Goodman. Enjoy. Well, I am here with Trudy Goodwin, Trudy Goodman, a woman I look up to so much, and I'm just so excited that you've given me this time with you today to be in conversation. So, thank you, Trudy. Oh, you're welcome. I'm happy to be here. It was really, um, you know, it was a very beautiful setting where I met you at the uh, Ram Dass retreat on Maui. And so being together, I just taste a little bit of that time because that's where we last were together. I feel like I can see you in my mind's eye with an orchid behind your ear. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was really, uh, now, of course, since Ram Dass has passed away and knowing that it is the last retreat that we were to have with him. The memory is even more precious. Yeah, really, 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 really special. That time was so incredible. And having you and Jack there too, I hadn't ever been in person with either of you. And that was such an extra special treat too, particularly you as a woman. And I know it felt like intentionally you were bringing into the discourse elements of social justice. Yes. And 
I appreciated that so much. Yeah, thank you. I feel like, um, you know, it's not either or. We're not either kind of mired in the world of the relative world where things like social justice, uh, injustice and unfairness and, you know, things like that are just so vividly happening. And then then there's this world, the spiritual world of, of absolute truth where it's completely, you know, silent and imperturbable and beautiful. And, and how do we reconcile? They're not two separate worlds, actually. But I think one of the um, pitfalls of spiritual practice is we can start gravitating toward the transcendent world. Mm-hmm. And I have felt that. And I understand the reason for it because we're so mired in the, convention, the conventional world of ourself and others and separate beings that it's harder for us to realize um, the unity and oneness of our hearts. So I understand why there's often more emphasis in spiritual circles on transcending. Mm-hmm. But as a female, as a woman, embodied woman, I feel really strongly that it has to be about imminence and it has to be about finding that transcendent or invisible spiritual dimension right in the heart of all our messy lives. <laughs> because if it's not found there and I have to always go off on retreat or um, sort of go somewhere in my mm-hmm. mind um, that's, that's not here, that's confusing and dis- I don't know. It's not fulfilling. Yeah. To me. I you know, what's coming up for me as I hear you say that is I think that what you're speaking to is more of the, I don't know, quote unquote, original way of being a Buddhist, right? Like think back to India or China or Japan where that originated. They weren't going on a special retreat to be Buddhist. They were lay people in their lives, though, of course, many lived in monasteries as well. But it wasn't set up like it is in our modern day culture, that's for sure. Well, I think the confusing part for some people who identify as Buddhists is that it actually in the early days, it was completely monastic. That the Buddha Mm -hmm. really, well, it wasn't completely because he taught lay people also. But if you were serious about your practice, he encouraged you to leave home and come join the community around him of people who were sitting and walking meditation and listening to him and really secluding themselves from um, worldly activities. And But I attribute that, Radha, to the fact that back in those days, people didn't have lifestyle choices right? the way we do. I mean, you were born into a family and a destiny and a role that your role may change over time, but it is really defined, very circumscribed, and you don't have any wiggle room, you know, you have to live out and live Mm -hmm. into that Mm -hmm. role. And so for people to do something radical and say, have, you know, spiritual practice or devote their lives to um, their own personal growth or, you know, to devote their lives to something besides serving their families, uh, in order to do that, they, people actually had to leave home, especially women, because women were pretty much the property of the men. First, maybe their father, mm-hmm. then 
Uh, yeah. They get married as their husband. If their husband passes away, do they have to also, or they are under the wing of a brother or a brother-in-law. You know, it just, in those days, it started out where you had to leave home and be a monastic if you were serious about your practice. Yeah, and, and included in that too, wouldn't it be like- were serious, but they the, were um, definitely a huge minority. Yeah, so and, and, and the aspect of like um, orphanage too, right? identify as Buddhists that somehow- you you know the the best way to practice is in retreat or in a monastery or becoming a monastic yeah it's making me think too of those i and i could be totally wrong and incorrect in this belief that i have but also sometimes the the buddhist monasteries being orphanages per se where it's almost like you didn't have a choice to be there you were sent there by your family that couldn't take care of you and now you are a, a monk or a nun yeah that's later on when the monasteries became places where people could um find room and board if they ordained do you know mm-hmm. what i mean that's later mm-hmm. um and that's i think more uh I think that happened probably more often in East Asia and the Mahayana traditions, maybe in okay. society. I don't know. In the early days, it wasn't like that. And, and look, when you think about reality of, um, say, becoming a serious meditator, it's true that if you want to, for most of us, not everybody, but the vast majority of us, Practitioners, if you want to be serious about it, you really do have to set aside times to be in seclusion, in retreat, or to be in a setting where you can practice intensively, which is usually not possible in our homes unless maybe you live alone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, or maybe and, in a very rural area. And now for the past, I don't know, let's say now 40 years, we've been trying to figure out how to be modern American lay people while having a spiritual practice and a spiritual yeah. discipline. And that's involved some t- for some of us times while where we have lived in monasteries, but then we often come back as teachers like yourself. Yes. We just, or we do like I did because I was a mom before I started um, seriously meditating. I, when I was young, I felt way too crazy to sit with myself in my early 20s. And and then I wound up by the ripe old age of 24, I was a um, divorced single mom. So at that point, when I started practicing, I think my daughter was already five. And it was before I had any um, stepkids. And, but at that point, um, you know, I had to find a way to do practice as intensively as I could while also being a working single mom. And that was very challenging. So I, I think that's part two. That's also why I resonate with people who are struggling in their lives, whether it's due to, you know, economic or racial or gender injustice, you know, whatever kind it is, I definitely identify with, Mm -hmm. um, with people who are struggling yeah, that resonates so much with me too. I, we have a lot of similarities where I was a, a young single mom as well and on my spiritual path and have my degree in um, transpersonal psychology while you're a psychotherapist and a meditator. I'm a yogi and a psychologist. 
Oh, I didn't know you wound up, that you, that you did a stint as a young single mom also. Oh, yeah. I have a daughter who's 16. Okay. And the first five years, I was by myself. And then I had a partner. Yeah, so you know how hard that is. Oh, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yeah. And so it's, I, it's inspiring to me to see you as a leader in this field, as a woman. And I don't know about you, but it still kind of rubs me the wrong way when I see just male-on-male conversations, or I hear so many mostly male-on-male conversations. I know. <laughs> I know. It's definitely annoying, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. And even talking with Krishna, you know, he does his podcast and you were on it. It was such a great conversation. I loved it so much. And he says to me things like, I just don't know of other women to reach out to. And I'm like, well, they're there. But I guiltily as well, I'm like, I don't know. They're well, not there. The, the difficulty is that, and this is really about, um, you know, gender imbalance and injustice, and we can call it patriarchy, but I don't, which it is, but I don't really like that word because it it's very blaming in some mm. way that I don't blame men because you don't see the water you're swimming in or the air you're breathing. Mm -hmm. I don't expect them to, because they don't experience it the way we do. But the reality is that due to the privileging of males and male experience and male education and all those things, um, women's contributions to the Dharma have gone much, and and not just to the Dharma, but we're talking in our own field. Mm -hmm. Um, The same is true in psychology, that... Um, women's contributions were historically less recorded. Uh, they had less opportunity. I know that even with my mom, who was super smart, she was one of five kids and in her family, um, they, I guess it was, yeah, it was after the great depression and the parents could, they just chose to send one child to school, uh, to college. And it was her brother. And the four sisters didn't get to go to college. You know, things like that were done. And it was not done out of meanness. It was done because they felt, well, he's going to have to support a family. So he needs that education. So there's no blame to it. But when you look back, it's so dismaying. Luckily, in the last last 45 years that you referenced, a lot of female scholars have been doing... um, research and unearthing stories in each of the traditions. Um, Sultra Malion has done a lot of that in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. Um, some of the Zen women Zen teachers have pulled together stories and koans that feature women. Um, in, in all the traditions, there have been women who have done amazing work at trying to uncover mm-hmm. some of these histories and the beautiful contributions that women have made that just aren't that visible. They just aren't. They aren't. And they, they aren't visible historically, and they're only growing in visibility now, but it still feels like there's quite a long ways to go. There is. And, you know, one of the, one of the reasons that I think it's still an issue now is there is just less support women. And that's why, you know, you encouraging Krishna to feature women on his podcast, you as a woman starting your own path and inviting me. 
these things are important because even today, so many women, they are doing more of the work at home. They're doing more of the work of raising kids. They are doing more of the work of ver- in various ways, giving care to other people um, when they could be writing their own book or starting their own center. Mm. Or do you know what I mean? There's so many oh, opportunities yeah. that the women haven't had. And um, Yeah, and similar to how you were saying the men, there's no blame because they didn't realize the water they were swimming in. I feel like even within my own self, am I starting to recognize the same water that I've been swimming in and the invisible limiters I've put on myself just from conditioning of, well, that's this is the way it's been. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and the ones that we internalize and then put on ourselves are actually the most dangerous ones of all mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to our being able to get free and, and move forward and just, you know, do what our intuition calls for us to do in this life. Yeah, it's a huge step. It's a huge step for most women. It's so big. And it's incredibly empowering. But in the early 70s, we had uh, the second wave of feminism. It became called, it was called later. And, but what it was is we had um, small consciousness raising groups, maybe 10 women in a group or 12 most. And that group that I was in in those days with the women where we just got together and talked personally about our lives. The feminist books hadn't quite been written, most of them yet. And we woke up to some of the realities of our lives that were actually not serving us as women. And we, we learned to, to take a look at the air we're breathing and the water we're swimming in and make it visible, make the invisible Mm-hmm. privileges or um, injustices visible mm-hmm. because when they're, you know, until they're visible, until we embrace them in our awareness, we can't really change it. No. So it sounds like you were as a collective, a mirror for each other. Yeah. 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 That's beautiful. Yeah. And so I encourage women, young women now and all, all women really always I think we intuitively know that we need each other. We need our women friends. We need um, we need to have each other's backs and not just you know criticize the ones who move ahead. We need to really support each other. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Right when the quarantine was occurring, mid March, you know, early uh-huh. March, just a uh-huh. month ago, we had this collective at my new meditation studio that had opened in January that was maybe 20 women getting together for the first time there. And it was if the, the palpable Shakti, just intensity in the room, just from the presence of the women that were there was so inspiring and exciting to me. And now, of course, it's gone for the momentarily. Can you do it on Zoom together? Because I'm doing so much teaching on Zoom right now. And I've been amazed at the sense of energetic connection and even intimacy that can come online. And I know that there are people who are saying, we actually like it. We can see you better. Your face is up close. 
we can see each other instead of being in a circle or rows where, mm-hmm. you know, we're looking at the back of the head of the person in front of us. We can actually see each other. I wonder if your group could convene that way. Yeah, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. I know it's kind of a both and with that. And because I saw with your Inside LA, all of your classes or a lot of offerings are online now. All of it has to be. We can't, our centers are closed. Mm-hmm. And there's this interesting thing I've been encountering as I've been teaching online too. Is it, I don't know how it is for you, but gosh, is it so stressful (laughs) as the teacher? It's so much different than walking into the room and you teach, you know, and you just have this time of like grounding and centering. And now when you're going to teach, it's like tech, technology, technology, which is such a, for me, it can be so agitating. And then I step into the teacher role while carrying with me, it feels like this huge shadow of the Zoom cloud of, is it streaming the right way? or whatever it might be. Well, are you teaching yoga that way? Yoga and meditation. Because yeah. I say the yoga part might be a lot harder. Um, I don't know, because I haven't done, you know what I mean? I haven't been teaching any kind of embodied practice. I'm just sitting there uh-huh. and guiding people through various um, meditation methods, but, um, and then also talking to them about their lives. So there's interaction. And I think that's the difference maybe with what, we're doing at Inside LA, there's a lot of stuff being offered right now, a lot, because it's good. It's good for the people who are offering it too. Totally. I get so much out of it. Exactly. So there's a lot that's being offered, but um, most of it is sort of broadcast. Whereas I'm making a point of having interaction with people as part of each, each class or program or whatever I'm doing. And I'm guessing you do that too. Mm-hmm. So you're not feeling exhausted personally by the online? I do feel it's more tiring. No yeah. question. It's, it's, but for me, it's it's staring at the screen that's more tiring as yes. opposed to the in-person, the space that's around each of us when we're in a room together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The staring at the screen is tiring. For, and, and again, maybe because I'm not teaching yoga like you do, um, as well as meditation, I my setup is so simple. Like right now, if if the listeners could see me, <laughs> they'd see I'm sitting at a desk, a little desk, and my computer's propped on a um, a kind of gift box of maybe I don't know, maybe seven inches tall, just to put it up to eye level. It's plugged into the you know, the power source is plugged in, it's plugged into the ethernet. So we have a stable connection. That's it. You know, I have, um, yeah, I have some earphones on, but the technology is actually the simple part for me. It's the, it's the staring at the screen. (laughs) And, but I will say, and the, the second time I taught my Sunday sitting group, I didn't realize that, um, I had to be plugged directly into the, in, into the ethernet to have a stable zoom connection the zoom dropped four times it mm. was one of the worst experiences i've ever had you know yeah. you've got a couple hundred people out there and <laughs> lose your connection just yes. like that no yeah. warning 
that's it. The, all of those kind of funny glitches in the beginning. Yes, I feel like I'm, I, I'm learning to surf my board a little better, but boy, has it involved a lot of tumbles. And I feel <laughs> I feel a lot, a lot for my other teachers too, through my studio who I'm asking to teach online because they're less savvy at, the, at it than I am and I'm struggling, but it's all a learning curve. It's all a learning well, curve. Well, I think it's actually a good thing because as, well, first of all, it's always good to learn something new, but um, I also think it allows people to join who wouldn't be able to otherwise. And Absolutely. that's beautiful. Yeah. So with your clients from inside LA, the students there are, would you say many of them are, are adapting to the online? Yes, I would. I mean, I call them students because I'm clients I associate more with psychotherapy and I'm not um, doing psychotherapy anymore. Due to the amount of teaching and traveling that I do, I actually stopped doing clinical work about 15 years ago. Um, but I do think the students are adapting to online. I mean, of course, I'm not seeing the ones who don't, right? Because mm -hmm. they won't be showing up. But for example, my Sunday sitting group numbers are pretty much the same as they were before. That's and right. uh, yeah, I think... The class that I'm offering has more people than there would have been ever on a Thursday evening because there's no traffic. Everyone is home. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that has, I would say, three times the number of people that would have signed up if they'd had to, you know, get in their car and drive across town in rush hour. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I think it's going well. I think that we are suffering more from the loneliness of being cut off from each other physically than, than, in, than with the teaching context. I just mean not being able to see my family or the, my grandkids or yeah. being able to hang out with my friends ever. I'm working a lot more for that reason. And that's not a bad thing, but sometimes it can feel lonesome. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I, one thing that I guess I'm unsure about is, you know, they say, well, when the studios can open again and people can come to them. And I'm just worried about the collective psychological trauma of getting together. I think it's going to take more time than anybody realizes, but I do think we are going to get this. For one thing, 99% of us are going to survive this virus. Mm -hmm. And that is just true. And for another thing, we have been through hard things before, all of us individually and maybe collectively, we've never gone through anything like this. But humans have over history. They have survived pandemics and life has carried on and uh, reestablished itself. I just, I see it with children and their growth. You know, mm -hmm. the force of healthy development is very strong. The force for survival and aliveness is really strong. So I do think that um, we will come back together. You know, we long for that. We belong together. We do. And sure, people might have some hesitation. We might have to, at the longest, wait till there's a vaccine. But we will come back together. We are quite resilient. That is true. Yeah, that's true. I noticed on your website that you have the upcoming Holocaust survivors journey. And that yes. kind of touches on this too. I mean, imagine, I can't even begin to imagine that period in history. But exactly. And that, um, 
the fun thing about that is that it's being done with my cousin and it's uh yeah next saturday april 25th and for people who are listening to this you know way past the time you can go you will be able to go on the insight la uh, website inside la is the meditation center that i founded in los angeles and if you just go on insightla.org, uh, you'll be able to find a recording of the diffs of different events that we have. And the fun one, uh, the fun thing about this one is that it's uh, with my cousin, my first cousin Drew's wife, Myra. So that makes her my first cousin. And she, her parents were both Holocaust survivors and, you know, deeply traumatized. They met as, um, young adults, I think they were actually still teenagers in a refugee camp after the war. And, you know, her stories of growing up with two parents who were severely traumatized survivors mm. and yet, you know, loving people and loving parents, her stories are just amazing. And she, what she did was she wrote a book. She found some journals of her father's where he describes his spiritual journey from despair to awakening and she worked for years to track down any living family members uh interviewing people visiting the old sites and she reconstructed his story and then wove it into a book of very simple and beautiful methods for transforming the legacy of trauma and they dovetail a lot with the methods that we use in the mindfulness world and in Buddhist meditation for transforming suffering. Mm -hmm. so, that's, um, so that's why we're offering that. But again, it's that message that you point to, the message of hope and trust in our resilience and our capacity to not just survive, but to heal and to thrive. It's absolutely true. It is absolutely true. And at the same time, there's a part of me that's um, with the idea of, let's say, when things quote unquote return to normal, I feel like what was occurring was really so abnormal. And now we're given this opportunity to see that water that we were swimming in that in many ways was so abnormal. For me, it felt like this busyness craze and hyper-masculine doing and I feel like I've swung into more of a feminine being, slowing down, pausing, and I love it. I love it so much. Yes, 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 yes. I 100% agree with you. Um, I love it too. And I actually wrote about it in our um, in our newsletter this morning. Um, I know I feel like reading you a little piece of it. Can sure. I? Yeah, absolutely. Because I really was just, so this is what I wrote. There's a photograph of a tern, a black and white little seabird who's sitting in the sand. Their nests are in open sand and her, she has a chick kind of tucked under her breast and their beaks are just, the chick has its beak open a little bit and her beak is just touching the tip of the chick's beak and her wings are kind of folded around the chick it's really beautiful and I just was writing about you know it's a beautiful day and spring leaves are here and flowers tossing their heads in the breeze and 
the crows and ravens are calling and the vultures are soaring and the warblers and sparrows and songbirds are singing across a beautiful sky. And there are more songs in the air. It's April, there's courtship and breeding season. The males are out singing each other to attract mates. The females are chirping, you know, the parents are building nests and, and, and then I talk about this mother with her baby chick and how vulnerable they are sitting in the sand on that open beach and the tenderness that you can feel between them. And then last night when I was teaching a class, I noticed when I was looking at the gallery view of the Zoom tiles, there was a mom holding her sleeping daughter in her arms while she was meditating. And their dog came over to nuzzle them. And I just kept thinking of that mother bird, mm. wings protecting the chick against her breasts. And, um, and then the meditating mom's arms cradling her child sound asleep. And I wanted to say to everybody, right this minute, all is well in the natural world. The humans are staying home. The rumming roar of traffic has been muted. I think all the animals must be breathing such a huge sigh of relief. Mm. And deep down, all is well. You know, we can take a deep breath in. The air smells cleaner. We're not polluting it, right? It smells yeah. fresh. Um, we're breathing in a new way because we're appreciating being able to breathe deeply and well. Uh, we're appreciating our aliveness and our wellness. Um, so I think, I love what you said about this is the new water we're swimming in. And we're also finding out, which blows my mind, but we are also finding out that, hey, guess what? We actually can find shelter for homeless people all of a sudden. We can fund free medical treatment for COVID. Um, and free testing if our government could ever get it together to provide that necessity. Uh, we can actually extend credit to people to get them through a tough time. Like this is the world that could be ours mm. where all these merciful necessities are routinely provided to humans who need them. Do we want to go back to the other world? No. No, no, no. No, I'm 100% agreeing with you on that one. I, because there's also climate change and the earth is not just the animals, but the earth is getting to breathe a sigh of relief right now. The earth and the oceans and the plants, the animals, the humans. Yeah. I feel like it's been a collective oh, just reset and break, a vacation for everyone. The slowing down has felt unimaginably pleasurable to my soul to my insides to my in like innermost beingness and the thing is not everybody gets to do it and um i have been also learning from some people that their companies um you know are doubling down on the work they're giving people mm. just to make sure that they're staying busy and occupied and so <sighs> people are finding that they're being asked to do more and more that's and there's no escape because they can't they can't just leave the office and go home. You know? oh. They're working at home. And sometimes they're working in their bedroom and that's where they have to then go to sleep uh, because there's no dedicated office in their home, in their apartment, you know? Totally. So just, 
Yeah, thank you for the that other side of the spectrum. does continue. Oh, it know, does, but, it but, does continue. Yeah. And I know it's and hard on the kids, that. too. Oh my gosh, if you have kids at home. Well, yeah, I just really heard from a friend who's get, whose child is just, she cries herself. She's a high schooler and she cries at night because it's just like, I don't know how to do all this work and I don't know how to get caught up. And yeah. It's hard. It's hard. My, my granddaughter is a senior in high school and six, ever since sixth grade, she's been looking forward or seventh for sure. She's been looking forward to the traditions that her school, they have some beautiful graduation traditions, like the girls dance around the maypole in their white graduation dresses. And they, she's been looking forward to these ever since. And she cried too. And she, she said, what am I working for? And I said, well, do you think all those years you were just working for graduation? She said, yes. <laughs> she really <laughs> felt like, yes, there's nothing left to work for now. And I mean, she's almost graduating, but still, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. There's a lot of loss. There's a lot that's heartbreaking. And, and I understand that companies are trying to survive, but I also feel that cutting workers some slack right now would be so merciful and kind instead of, you know, turning up the pressure just when people are already feeling so much fear and not knowing what's going to happen with anything and what will a new normal look like, all of that. Um, Mm -hmm. People need support and comfort. Mm -hmm. And time, time to go, if they can, just even on a walk simply. And then these self-care practices of yoga or mindfulness or whatever they might be, are even more valuable. They are the medicine for so many of us. They are. They are. Would you like to, would you like to offer a practice as part of this conversation? Would you like me? I would love that. I would love that. Absolutely. From a master teacher like yourself, that would be a treat. Great. One of the things that I've been offering, uh, pretty consistently this past week has been a loving kindness meditation for the body. And I may, I can't remember if I did at the retreat, you may have done it with me already, but we'll do an abbreviated version, maybe just um, what, about 10 minutes? Is that wonderful? No, no, that's great. Uh, We'll do an abbreviated version and it's a kind of, um, it's a way to express our love and appreciation for our bodies at a time when, I don't know, many people in quarantine are feeling stiff, gaining weight, feeling out of shape, finding it hard to exercise and stay fit. And I don't want that to translate into people hating their bodies or not. Do you know what I mean? Feeling mm-hmm. bad about bodies because it fortifies our immune system to be in a state of kindness and love and caring. So in that spirit of strengthening our immune systems and just offering some love, I'm going to invite all your listeners to relax, find a very comfortable way to sit, And let your eyes close if that feels right to you. If not, you can just lower your gaze, lower your lids so that you're giving this signal to the organism that 
there's no need to look around. We can just sit back and relax. And then taking a deep breath in and just releasing that breath. And then one more time. Oh, I'm yawning. Hmm. One more time. If you're yawning, that's a good sign. Energy shifting in the body. And so what we're going to do is just sweep our attention from head to toe. I will guide that process and say a few simple phrases of wishing our bodies well. And all you have to do is repeat the phrase silently to yourself and see if you can listen to what you're saying when you offer the phrase to your body, to yourself. So we begin with the head. And by the way, when I say these phrases, I can pretty much guarantee that many of you are going to think, oh my God, this is so sappy. Uh, Or if you're like me, you'll think the first time I did it, this is like preschool. And it is. It's sappy. It's cheesy. It's like preschool. In other words, it's very simple and very loving. So I want to encourage you to just try it and stay with it and do it and then see how you feel. So again, beginning with the head. May my head be happy. My face, scalp, ears, jaw, neck, throat, May this whole region of my head and neck be happy. May my face relax. May my neck be at ease. And then bringing attention to the shoulders. May my shoulders just drop down a teeny bit and relax. May my shoulders be happy. And then bringing attention to the arms, feeling the upper arms the elbows, the forearms and wrists, and the hands at the end of the arms, the palms, backs of the hands, knuckles, fingers, thumbs. May my arms and hands relax and be at ease.
May my arms and hands be happy. And then bringing attention to the front of the body. And just feeling when my whole front relax and be happy. Chest, diaphragm, belly, lower abdomen, the whole front of the body. And then moving attention to the back, feeling the upper back and shoulder blades, the middle back and lower back. Lots of tension can be stored in the lower back. And just letting the whole back relax. May my back be happy. May my spine be at ease. And bring attention to the hips. No judgment, just feeling the hips the bottom, the genitals, this whole part of the body. May my bottom, may my hips, and my genitals be happy, peaceful, at ease. And then bringing attention to the thighs. Bringing attention to the thighs. And also you can feel still the hips leading into the thigh, the pelvis and the femur and the muscles and the skin. Again, no judgment, just wishing. May my thighs be happy and strong. And moving attention to the knees, this complex joint, just appreciating the fronts and backs and sides and inside the knee. May my knees be happy. May my knees be well. And now moving the attention down through the lower legs, the calves and shins and ankles. May my lower legs be happy and strong. And moving attention from the ankles to the feet the feet that carry us wherever we need to go. May my feet be happy. 
the soles of the feet, the heels, the tops of the feet and toes. May both feet relax and be at ease. And now just letting the attention move all the way through the body, from the head, all the way gently down through the body to the toes. May my whole body be happy and content. May my body be safe and protected healthy and strong. Just feeling that sense of well-being. Fill the body, fill the heart, fill the soul. Radiate out through our skin to everyone we love. to everyone who needs comfort. To all creatures. To all beings everywhere, without exception. May we and all beings be safe and protected so we can grow in love and understanding. And when you're ready, opening your eyes. Thank you for that loving kindness. You're welcome. I think it's really good for us right now. It's very comforting and strengthening and good. Yeah. 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 I feel very calm, very grounded. My body feels happy. Yeah, I think when people are willing to give it a try and suspend their um, skepticism, that's the experience that most people have. They just feel calmer mm-hmm. and better. Mm-hmm like meditation does for us. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we're here talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) Cheerleaders for meditating. (laughs) Yes. Well, Trudy, thank you so much for that gift of the meditation and the gift of your time and the gift of just knowing you're out there in the world, teaching and doing all the things that you do. You're really a powerhouse and a way shower. And I'm so grateful for you. Oh, thank you. That is just so lovely. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Happy to be with you again. Oh, there's your face. (laughs) Hi. Well, I hope we get to connect again soon. 